Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle, it's a base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war! Friggin' ridiculous! Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No! Not the middle seat! Come swim away to a brand new episode of the Middle Seat Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm not quite the king of Atlantis, but I am the king of this podcast and your host, Mr. Andrew Auger. Let's meet my partners out at sea. He's as beautiful as the Great Barrier Reef, Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> How are we doing, everybody? Good to be with you. Happy to be back recording. It's been a little bit. It has been a little bit. And he's the guy who's always peeing in the kiddie pool, Mr. Jay Kensler. <laughs> I actually like to stand off the side and pee into the kiddie pool. No, onto the pool. Yes. Oh, God, around the rims, too? Oh, boy. Yeah, I just You're stand into the side like like the drunk Uncle Wood. <laughs> the last few podcasts, I try to anticipate what Andrew's going to use. That was a good one. Right, that wasn't bad, right? I yeah, just think, how can good. I humiliate you the most? But anyway... If you're just joining us for the first time, that probably didn't make a lot of sense to you. I do that every week. But The Middle (laughs) Seats is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Usually our show is divided into three segments. We have Lobby Talk, where we kind of just talk about a general topic in the world of movies or television that a crew member has pitched, and we just kind of go back and forth on it for fun. It's my week this week. We'll get into that in a bit. Then we usually get into news, and then we get into a feature review, one of the biggest movies out right now. This week it's a little different because we have two feature reviews for you. Two of the biggest movies of the winter season, of the holiday season, which is kind of come and gone at this point. We have the long-awaited Disney sequel, Mary Poppins Returns, and of course, the DC superhero extravaganza, Aquaman. Two movies that have been on our radar for a while. So guys, buckle in. We've got two major action-packed reviews we need to get into, but first, let's talk about Lobby Talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You in the lobby? What do you look like? before you can make the lobby. So guys, I'm going to let you in a little bit of inside middle seats baseball here. Um, we were recording an episode a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the potential of, oh, is Kevin Hart as the host of the Oscars a really good idea? And we were really excited to get that episode out to you guys. And then the world went crazy. And after we recorded that, Kevin Hart is not the host of the Oscars. Despite flirting with the fact that he might be able to come back, he never actually made that leap back. He's officially out as the host of the Oscars for various reasons you can look up online. Big controversy involving homophobic tweets in his past and he said, she said, and a lot of different things going on. It's a very complicated, messy situation. But anyway, the show still does not have a host. Now, by the time you hear this, the show might have a host. So we have to qualify that here. But at the same time, we thought it'd be fun to speculate. Who would we pick to host the Oscars? Who would be our choice And that takes into account, you know, what's going on in the movie world as it is right now, uh, who's hosted in the past, who do we think would be good for it, who do we think would be bad for it. There's a lot of factors that are going into this that we've extensively researched over the course of 20 minutes to figure out who we wanted to be our own personal pick. So, guys, I know you've been hitting the books a lot. Nate, let's start with you. Who is your choice? I'm going to go with a fairly safe pick, and he's never hosted before, but I think he'd be perfect for it. And that's The Rock. Let's get some Dwayne Johnson here. Obviously, he's just a charismatic guy. 
I don't know anybody who doesn't like The Rock in some capacity. And I feel like he can really sell, like, the banter with all the presenters going on on stage in a fun way just because he can flip to different personalities on a dime when he needs to. Like, seeing that wrestling movie trailer that's coming out, like, you get a little bit of that, like, his back and forth with his own personalities, which is fun. And we even saw that in the Jumanji movie. Like, he's an actor in his own right, and he's a funny guy to top it all off. Right, he's a brand, too. Absolutely, absolutely. And one extra plus that I think would be really, really clutch to him is that I think we could be pretty certain that The Rock would be pretty apolitical. Like, we're in a very heated climate right now, and I got, like, some PTSD flashbacks from the Grammys where the entire show was politicized and Hillary Clinton even showed up in the thing for some reason, and it made no sense for a music show to be talking about politics. And there's obviously going to be digs at the president and whatever else is going on that week when it happens from other guests, but we don't need to get it from the host. And I think getting The Rock in there is a surefire way to ensure that. Right. The Rock has an enormous following. Like the Oscars want their views to go up. They want people to tune in. They want people to watch their three and a half plus hour show, whatever it is. But I think The Rock would absolutely bring up viewership. He's he's one of the biggest names in the business right now. You know what I think would be hilarious? We're talking about how apolitical he is and how, you know, lovable he is. And what if he just took that platform to announce his candidacy for 2020? <laughs> like, could you imagine? Um, that, oh, no. I actually wouldn't uh, be mad at all. That would be That would be crazy. hilarious. Um, just drop that right before they announce Best Picture. Right. The whole room would go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Nobody would even care who won Best Picture. Absolutely. No, yeah, absolutely not. Honestly. <laughs> um, wow. I think, in principle, that's a really great choice. I don't see yeah, how that would sense. go bad at all. That's pretty solid. I kind of wish I had picked that myself, although I am pretty secure in my own pick, and we'll get into that in a bit. Jake, what's your pick? So, honestly, there's a bunch of people that I think could host the Oscars. I think Jimmy Fallon will get his time. I wouldn't mind Ellen or Seth MacFarlane repeats. I like both of them as hosts. But I think, honestly, if we could get somebody like John Travolta or Mel Gibson, no, I'm kidding. I really don't want to. Oh I God. actually don't want to say that. Oh, that would be Lord. terrifying. Jeez. That would be quite full circle for Mel Gibson. Like, <laughs> and John Travolta had Gotti come out, so you know what? It'd be timely. Well, then he can host the Razzies. Uh, no, we nobody wants to see John Travolta butcher everybody's names like he did with Adina Menzel. It's only the second worst mess up in Oscars history now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, no, but I think, honestly, if we're looking for somebody who's got good comedic chops, suave, gigantic name, timely, and... Obviously, it can come up clutch in the movie business. Robert Downey Jr., I think he'd be a great choice. Avengers is coming to an end soon. His biggest role is coming to an end. And he also saved the Marvel Universe. So I think if anybody could put together something like this with a funny, charming, suave kind of way, I think he'd be a great choice. What if you had just all the Avengers host? <laughs> like, all together. Just all of them together? Yeah. <laughs> all, like, 15 of them? Yeah, Whatever I'd be so on board with that. Like, the fun. Oscars are always going to go to the more prestigious films, and they've kind of snubbed a lot of even really good superhero movies just because it's the Oscars and everything's got to be artsy-fartsy, you know? Right. Just given superhero movies a little bit of a bone, because, again, we're not sure if Black Panther's going to make the cut yet. It'd be nice just to get a little bit of superhero, a little bit main blockbuster representation, at least on the hosting side. and. I agree. Robert Downey Jr. is hands down the funniest member of that cast. Yeah. Except for maybe Paul Rudd. 
Right. He's got a little competition, but Chris Pratt's pretty funny too. If Black Panther does get that nomination, this would be the perfect time to have Robert Downey Jr. as a host. You know what I mean? Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. this year would be great synergy because when's the next time a Marvel movie is going to be nominated for Best Picture? You're right. He's a charming. He's a funny guy. I think if anybody mainstream actor-wise that's not necessarily a comedian could do it, he could do it because they usually lean towards comedians. Except that one time they hired Anne Hathaway and James Franco. Yeah, and people love a good comeback story at the very least. Right. Like, obviously that comeback is 10 years old at this point, but – Still, his it's still talked about, yeah. Yeah, co- comeback's complete, but yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> right, full, full scale <laughs> to the max. Mm-hmm. So I like both of your picks a lot, to be honest. I'd be fine with either of those. Oh, thank you. <gasps> the, the one that I've true. seen... <laughs> I, I know, I know. It touches my heart too, guys. Um, so that means you have to be nice about my pick as well. This is not something that I've come up with by myself, as I kind of alluded to, to you guys off mic. Like, I've seen this circulating around the internet, but it just feels so right to me because we're in such a point of like cynicism and hatred and, you know, everybody's offended by everything. And there's a group of things that I think could avoid that cynicism and that hate. And they desperately need a rebound as well. I would love to see the Oscars hosted by the Muppets. And let me tell you why, because one who hates the Muppets, nobody, if you hate the Muppets, you have either no heart or you're just afraid of felt. And I mean, either of those is acceptable, I guess. Fine. <laughs> but like at the same time, kids, you just imagine like Kermit is the master of the ceremony and Fozzie's out there doing his thing. Uh, Ralph is there and yeah, Walter can even show up too from the new ones, whatever. He's not a fan favorite, of course. But Miss Piggy, maybe she sings the in memoriam, although that might be a little offensive. But, uh, you know, yeah. no, 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 no. You, you know what I mean. <laughs> Just get them involved throughout the show. Make people feel warm. Make people feel happy and distract them from, you know, how things have been going recently, which, I mean, <laughs> hasn't been great. This is a slam dunk idea to get people's minds in a good mindset as we celebrate the best night in movies. And if they announce the wrong best picture, um, what's his name can go waga waga. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I like it, Drew. It's yeah. wholesome. I just how do they like the just really long strings from up above get them moving? I guess no, no. You give them a little. Boof. Yeah. Do you do you not know how the Muppets work? I, I guess they're, they're hand puppets, Jake. You need the hands. Just be a big booth. <laughs> or like the audience can go with it, and they can just shoot it from the waist up, like they do with every other time the Muppets do something. <laughs> Yeah, that would certainly be unique. And truthfully, I think that would boost viewership as well. I mean, it sounds like the Academy or the Oscars, whatever we want to call them, want more viewership. They want more people to tune in. I think that would certainly make it interesting. Right. It's wholesome. It's fun. But I think you're forgetting about one elephant in the room there, Andrew. What? What about the Happy Time Murders? There it is. What about it? It didn't have Kermit <laughs> I was, and stuff. In I was hoping somebody it, would get it to it. It came out this year. In the history of movie making, you've never seen a movie like The Happy Time Murders, and you'd have to at least mention it at some point throughout the ceremony. Have them apologize for it. <laughs> Thank you. You just gave me an opportunity for this easy fix. So Kermit just looks at Melissa McCarthy, who will be there for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And he just goes, well, Melissa, I, I'm sorry. And then they, everybody laughs. And they all laugh, and it's all a happy moment because we never have to talk about that movie again, even though I thought it was okay. There you go. I fixed it. Problem solved. Melissa McCarthy will be there. She'll have accepted her Razzie the night before, and then she'll be there to be nominated for an Oscar. Not bad. Don't you love happy endings, guys? You got to love it. Yeah, we got we got happy endings. We got comeback stories. It's quite the right. lobby talk. This was quite the lobby talk. Thank you guys for joining in. Thank you for listening. Who do you think should host the Oscars? Please let us know. 
in the comment section below. Speaking of the Oscars, this is a movie who might be there in some capacity as we start the first of our two feature reviews tonight. Let's talk about Mary Poppins Returns. I honestly can't remember why we kept most of this stuff to begin with. Don't you remember that kite? We used to love flying that with mother and father. I was flying the kite and it got caught on a nanny. Mary Poppins. You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I taught you better. What brings you here after all this time? Same thing that brought me the first time. I've come to look after the bank's children. Us? Oh, yes, you too. I miss mother. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. It's a good thing you come along when you did, Mary Poppins. You've forgotten what it's like to be a child. Everything is possible. Even the impossible. Mary Poppins Returns comes 60 years or something ridiculous after the original Mary Poppins. I can't do math, but it was in the 1960s when that movie came out, starring Julie Andrews, Dick Van Dyke. This one is directed by Rob Marshall. It stars Emily Blunt. She jumps into the shoes and the umbrella of the role of Mary Poppins. It also stars Lin-Manuel Miranda, Emily Mortimer, Ben Whishaw, Colin Firth, and Meryl Streep. She's in there as well. Um, basically, it takes place about 30 years after the original Mary Poppins, roughly. The Banks kids have grown up. They have children of their own now, or Michael does specifically, and they're in jeopardy of losing their home. Michael recently lost his wife about a year ago, so he's a widower, and Mary Poppins basically comes back to town, as she did three decades ago, to help the Banks family kind of live their life again. She brings all the magic, she brings the whimsy, and she brings the tears. So guys, Mary Poppins Returns, this has been a tentpole project for Disney. They've been working on this for, oh, I gotta say, probably 15, 20 years at this point, at the least. I'm sure they've been talking about it for a while, but the author, P.L. Travers, didn't really like Mary Poppins that much anyway, so they had to wait for her to die to make this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's just that. make that as morbid as possible, but yeah, it was a huge legal battle. Right. They literally had to wait for her to pass away. Literally. It's a pretty brutal story. Do some Wikipedia searching on that, but we're all whimsy here on the middle seats. Um, this is a big musical spectacular, kind of like in The Greatest Showman was last year, where it's the big musical of the winter season. But does it deliver? Is it as good as the original? And is it something that you should be seeing with your family as the weeks go on? Let's start with Jake. What did you think of Mary Poppins Returns? So disclaimer, I actually just watched the original Mary Poppins for the first time within the month. I don't know how it escaped me this whole time, but it has. So at 23 and a half years old, I watched Mary Poppins alone in my bed on a Saturday afternoon. And I guess this is the pool-peeing, drunk uncle me coming out. I thought it was, I don't know, I wasn't blown away by it. I thought it was too long, but I had to see it. I thought Julie Andrews was great. She, she was outstanding. Fast forward to Mary Poppins Returns, and I thought it was good, but it's not anything spectacular. It's got some really great moments. It's got some some of that magic that everybody talks about, but it definitely didn't capture me like it does a lot of other people. Yes, I, Nate, I think you would agree with me when you say that 23 years old is probably the best time to first see Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I right. know. <laughs> I know, but Jake, I see what you're saying. Like, it's definitely going to have a different impact for you than it was mm -hmm. for a lot of us, I think. Nate, when was the first time you saw the original Mary Poppins? And then you can get into what you think of the sequel. 
first time I don't remember it. <laughs> it was one of those movies where my parents say that we watch it a whole bunch as kids, me and my sisters, but I really didn't remember it. I also gave it a, a rewatch and I recognized some scenes. Obviously, the music has stuck with me for a while. Like, who doesn't know supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? Right. I, I always knew that. And it's charming. It's definitely old school Disney in a way that is hard to process in today's terms without the nostalgia factor. Just because it's very different from, say, like one of their animated features, like Aladdin or Lion King, you know? Yeah. So fast forward to the new one. And I, I'll agree with Jake. It was good it was charming it didn't blow me away but i can pinpoint why i felt that way the music just wasn't great there were two songs that i enjoyed like absolutely hands down that's awesome but the rest was all just kind of fluff and filler at least from my perspective i wasn't really sold on much of the musical numbers which is a shame because it looks pretty it's acted phenomenally i really loved emily blunt she totally yeah. sold me as mary poppins agree with that and Lin-Manuel Miranda shows up more for the second half of the movie, but he's charming in his own right once you get there. The kids are all pretty good, pretty standard, I'd say. Like, none of them are fantastic, mm -hmm. um, but they're not annoying either on the flip side, so a perfect balance for a kid actor. So all around, it's just kind of a well-rounded movie, but it doesn't really excel in the areas where it really needs to. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page on this one. I saw the original Mary Poppins probably when I was four or five for the first time. I probably haven't seen it in at least a decade at this point. Obviously, I remember all the big numbers, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. That was a mouthful. Um, That's kind of the point. <laughs> right, exactly. Let's go fly, fly a kite, spoonful of sugar. You know, those are all big numbers that I remember. And, of course, the director of Mary Poppins, Rob Marshall, and the people behind the film want you to remember those numbers as you're watching this movie. And this is, like, kind of a solid, like, redo of everything that made that original work. It's not a great movie. It's a good movie, I think. Everything you guys are saying are true. I enjoyed the musical numbers, I think, a little bit more than you, Nate. They are catchy. They're not as memorable as the ones from the original, for sure. But I think the choreography is really cool on a lot of them. You don't get Lin-Manuel Miranda, and then you don't make him do the things that he does the best, which is, of course, dancing, really fast singing, and they find ways to exploit that in really creative ways. I love the costuming. I love the choreography of stuff like the dancing numbers and stuff like that. I think the supporting cast is really good. They use Colin Firth and Meryl Streep and Ben Wishaw perfectly. But this is really Emily Blunt's show, as you guys were saying. And she really is amazing as Mary Poppins. It feels sacrilegious to say that you forget Julie Andrews, but you really do for a little bit. Like, she feels like the Mary Poppins character that we all grew up with. And that's important. That's a big accomplishment for Emily Blunt. Right. Because Mary Poppins is an absolutely iconic character, so there's a lot of pressure riding on her, and she nailed it through and through. Right. And I think she just continues to shoot up as one of the best actresses and most diverse actresses in Hollywood. Like, just think of some of the projects she's absolutely nailed over the last 10, 15 years. Well, Sicario is just... Sicario is a great Sicario, one. Sicario, Quiet Place. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, Tomorrow. Even, like, something like The Devil Wears Prada. She's way different in that. Oh, yeah, I forgot she's in that. I've actually never seen that. That was my big first introduction to her. Um, but she is just so good at different roles like this. And she's phenomenal here. I, I've... Can't say enough good things about her. The movie itself, sweet, likable, a bit repetitive, didn't really have the emotional impact that I wanted, and the story itself is just kind of there to be an excuse for the musical numbers. 
And that's what solid musicals are usually, not exceptional ones like La La Land, which weave emotion into the narrative. This is just a fun time. It's a fun, pleasant family adventure. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's kind of what the first one is too. So I can't go too harsh on it. It's just there's something unforgettable about that original that this one doesn't quite have, you know? Yeah. Yeah, honestly, exactly. Because I was – I can hate when this happens to me, but I can't quite put my finger on why I didn't love it. I just – I just kind of didn't. Like I walked out of theater like, yeah, that was good. I don't regret seeing it. Good experience, but didn't have a lot to say. <laughs> That's a problem I feel like with a lot of Rob Marshall's movies too. He's kind of a, a musical guru. Like he did Into the Woods, which kind of had the same issue. Mm, yeah. Um, also starring Emily Blunt, um, which it was a good musical, but like I, nobody remembers it too much. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They always turn towards the play. And then you have Chicago, which I think is kind of overrated. I watched that one probably within the last year or two. Another good musical, but it's not like it didn't deserve to win Best Picture, especially in a year where City of God and The Two Towers came out. Like, good Lord. Um, <laughs> and then he made the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which I won't hold against him. That was never going to work anyway. <laughs> Still didn't work. So that's Rob Marshall for you. Right, exactly. <laughs> He's competent and he does a solid job. And that's kind of what this movie does. Like, and just in terms of... Like camera shots, musicals have just this really cool platform because you get to do things that you normally can't do in film. Right. And he does a good job of experimenting in this one. There's lots of lots of fun scenes that mix up reality in a way that you wouldn't see in any other movie, let alone other musical movies like Into the Woods or Chicago. You get to go into a 2D world for a little bit here. You get to go into a fantasy land world where everything's upside down there's fun set pieces and then you get to add the singing and the dancing to make something that hasn't been seen on screen before which is cool yeah i think the blending of the 2d and the live action especially again i think it looks great um the effects in general pretty much across the board are really good yeah Mm -hmm. which i mean it costs probably 200 million dollars to make this movie it should look good (laughs) but at the same time like it really couldn't have and you're right nate like they find a way to make it cool and enjoyable in the moment it's just kind of it kind of leaves your memory slightly after watching it you know like it's like okay that was fun and then you kind of forget about it Mm -hmm. i do agree if um aside from emily blunt i think some of the best parts of the movie are their their set designs and uh, special effects and stuff like that those were all really well handled and really well done just like the first movie i mean when did the first movie come out 64 I think that's 60 right. Something. 1964. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to brag about that for a second because that was a shot in the dark. Um, I remember when I was first watching it, I was like, this is really pretty advanced for 64. Like, good for whoever directed that. I don't know if it's out of my head. I'm not going to guess that one. Ah, uh, yes. You were so impressed you didn't even look them up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let me apologize to Robert Stevenson for Jake's lack of respect. <laughs> yeah. If he listens in, Mr. Stevenson, I'm sorry. He's um, definitely dead, but let's move on. <laughs> I assume so. Uh, yeah, he died yeah, in remember... 1986. <laughs> okay, so no Darn you, that. ghost. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really like that they incorporated that again, because in the first movie, I thought that was a really, really awesome for a movie so old to be doing. And then I thought it worked well again in this one, too, so I was glad they incorporated that. Right. So, guys, I feel like we're going to have a lot more to say about our second movie tonight, so I think it's time to pivot to our rating section. If you are just joining us for the first time, we rate movies here on the Middle Seats Podcast based on the seat scale. If it's a movie we think has no flaws at all, we give a royal throne out. If it's a movie that is really great but has, like, a couple of minor flaws, we give it a plush recliner. If it's a movie that's mostly really good but has some pretty glaring weaknesses, we give it a wooden seat. If it's the inverse of that where it's a movie 
that has not a lot going for it, but a couple of really good things. We give it a damp lawn chair, and if it's a movie with no really redeemable qualities whatsoever, we give it a sleazy outhouse. And if we think you should see it in theaters, we give it the little bag of popcorn moniker to go along with it. So guys, let's get into our ratings here. Nate, what would you give Mary Poppins Returns? I had a good time with it, um, but it just didn't blow me away. It's a pretty flat wooden seat for me. The parts that I liked, I really liked, and everything else, bored is the wrong word, but just kind of disinterested. I just wish the music spoke to me a little bit better. Like, yes, most of the songs in the original Mary Poppins are nonsense, but they're fun nonsense. Here, it was hard for me to, like, start singing along with most of the songs, and I feel like that's key to any really good musical. The show wasn't enough to make me drop my jaw at any point. So... I definitely enjoyed it, and I definitely would recommend you see this one in theaters. I saw this one in a Dolby, like the surround sound, massive screen, really great audio. Ooh. And that was that was really, really nice, just because I felt like I got a real musical experience there. I just wish there were more than two songs that did the music for me. I will just say, just because I've been mentioning it, uh, the last song in particular is the one that I really, really liked. And I just wish there was more of it. Me too. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll get into what specifically those songs are in a minute. Yeah, yeah. But I agree with that, Nate. Jake, what would you give it? Um, Ditto with a wooden seat. I'd say it's a nice, well-polished 2D seat that us live-action characters would sit in. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun theater experience. I didn't quite have this theater experience that Nate had. I don't know. I, I don't even know if I'd throw out the bag of popcorn moniker. I mean, the sets were good. The effects were good. But I think I would have been fine seeing it on regular TV, actually. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of all in the same boat with you. I think I'm on the higher, a little bit of a higher scale of wooden seat that you guys are, but I'm going to give it a wooden seat as well. Nate, I think the phrase you were looking for that I think I agree with the most is I, I checked out at points. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's the big thing. It's like I'm enjoying it. I'm not disliking anything really I'm seeing. There's a couple things where I'm like, uh, okay, this movie doesn't have glaring weaknesses. It's more that it's just unremarkable at points. You know what I mean? It feels like a been there, mm -hmm. done that moment. When it pops, it really pops. And it gives you the exhilarating highs of a musical. And I think you should see it on a big screen because I think all musicals are worth seeing on a big screen in some capacity. Visually, especially, this one cost a lot of money to make. Mm -hmm. I just don't think this is going to be one of those memorable movies that's worthy of like a sing-along. Like we're already getting sing-along screenings for like Bohemian Rhapsody, which is weird first of all <laughs> when you can just do that at like on a friday night with your friends or on your ipod <laughs> exactly um but like this is not a movie that's going to be like oh i need to go see it like three or four times like greatest showman was like a huge hit and i think this is a better movie technically than greatest showman but greatest showman has the edge because its soundtrack is more memorable and its choreography is more memorable and it's fun to sing along and it's fun <laughs> to sing along to too it's hard to do that with a lot of these songs exactly in my opinion. i agree it's a wooden seat. It's made with magic and it's made with love. This is where we go, aw. But at the same time, it's a wooden seat nonetheless. So mm -hmm. we're all on the same page here, so I don't think this is going to be a long spoiler section. But if you have not seen Mary Poppins Returns and you're interested in seeing it, please check out now because we're going to get into probably the moments, the strengths and weaknesses that we wanted to get into. If you have seen it, join us in our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. Nate, you kind of were alluding to the fact that uh, I think it's called Nowhere to Go But Up. I think that was probably yeah. your favorite, right? Yeah, I, I really like that one. 
that was like the complete Mary Poppins package in one song because you had just the fun visuals of everyone on balloons, this swirl of optimism. It was the perfect note to end the movie on. And you could sing along. Right. The chorus and even the lyrics were all slow enough that once you heard that first verse, you were just like, I am so on board with this. And then all the funny character moments of seeing all these really classic characters uh, just floating in the sky. It was just a great time. It was yeah. a perfect way to put a smile on your face to finish the movie off. I'm kind of a sucker for musical numbers that incorporate all the cast in somehow. Mm-hmm. And I like the little the little Angela Lansbury like tease at the end. You know what I mean? That clearly was supposed to be Julie Andrews, uh, who has disowned this movie. But at the same time... She's disowned it? Yeah. I don't think... I read something somewhere where she was not happy with the fact that they made it. I mean, I guess I shouldn't go around starting rumors, but I've I've heard that. <laughs> Julie Andrews is going to come with you. I'm doing a quick Google of that, Nate. Commenters can correct me if I'm wrong, but I was under the impression that she was offered that scene at the last bit and said, you know what? I want this to be Emily Blunt's role, and putting me in there is just distracting from her great performance, so I don't want to be part of it. I don't know if that's a PG version. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think I'm being TMZ right now. I think you're on to something. Oh, God. <laughs> TMZ. I knew she was too nice for something like that. Uh, <laughs> Just own the movie. Yeah, that was a little strong on my part. I apologize, Julie Andrews. <laughs> and and you're sick. We'll give him a pass. I'm so sorry. Uh, Jake, what was your favorite musical number? Um, I would say the one that stands out the most is the ending one as well. I agree with Nate. But I thought the, the uplifting positivity... You know, even getting the bad guy and Colin Firth involved just really, really ended the movie really well. Right. So I'd agree with that. And the bathtub, when she really gets the kids involved and gets the kids believing that she's magic and stuff. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah, I like that one because I wasn't totally sold yet either. And then once the kids start to get sold, I started to get sold as well. Right. It brought me in a little bit. So I like that one. The, the first one they do with the bathtub. I like the last one, too. I think my favorite is the one that's basically the Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda show. Like, they randomly go to this theater in the 2D place, uh, and it's called A Cover Is Not The Book. Yeah. And it's just the two of them just kind of going off. Mm-hmm. And they let Lin do their do his thing, where he just, like, is rapping. Yeah. It's so impressive every time he does that. But I think the two of them, I love their costuming in that scene, and I love the energy of that scene. I like, I think it's a little too chimchimmery, the Triple Little Light Fantastic, which is the big lamplighter number you know what i mean it's supposed to be not the chimney sweep i was time. i was half and half on that one right the good parts of that song i really liked but uh, i just remember being bored with it like halfway through it's a yeah. long song yep. i actually remember checking out during that one i was like all right i got it yeah <laughs> oh my goodness I'm, I'm looking at the soundtrack right now that is a seven minute long song yes it is i'm looking at That's it too. too long and most of it's oh. not even singing it's just music yeah yeah <laughs> You chop off that, make it a five-minute one with, like, one minute of it being the dance number. I can get behind that. But I have this complaint about a lot of movies, but the movie's a little too long, I think. And I really felt that in, like, that final rush to try to get the paperwork to Colin Firth's character at midnight. Like, when they spend all that time, Lynn sacrifices his life to try to change Big Ben when Mary Poppins could have just flown up there and done it the whole time. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, like, I know it's, oh, Hollywood needs to show you effort and show that other people care and humanity is willing to help each other, but Mary Poppins, what are you doing? Right, you can fly. Go help. (laughs) Go do something. He could possibly die from this. She's a little devil Yeah, she's watching him, like, ooh, like, eating the popcorn that we're eating. Let's see if he makes it. No, right. help him. <laughs> I know this was partially by design, too, but kind of as a segue from that, I thought Colin Firth's character was written really cartoonishly. On purpose. I mean, obviously, yeah. that's that's the point. I, I liked it, though. I liked that he was 
very stereotypical big bad banker guy with not a whole lot of motivation for whatever reason it was i thought colin Firth sold it really well he's just charismatic yeah i, I feel like he could sell anything but actually as a quick aside the first time we get the sense that colin firth is evil like he does the classic looking a little bit off to the camera with like that evil grin kind of thing mm-hmm. and you know that it's happening and then his 2d parallel when the wolf does it just made me miss Disney animation so much because you get so much expression out of those 2D characters mm-hmm. in a way that live action just can't replicate. Right. And that whole scene just made me ugh, cry out for my childhood. I wish Disney went back to it. Like we got that little taste of it with the Princess and the Frog movie. But then Disney just hasn't gone back to doing that. Right. And I think that's a shame. And I think it's a problem of the industry in general that those movies don't make as much as like Shrek and like Monsters Inc. and Toy Story and those movies are like mega mega hits. When's the last time a big 2D hit happened? And I know that that happens because we stopped making a lot of them. But at the same time, don't you think that people nostalgic like us would go out and see them? I don't know. I, I hope they do bring that back. I would be very curious. And that's why those sequences pop so well, especially. It's so awesome to see how they integrated all those different 2D elements. Like that was such a staple, the original. And it's again perfected here really well. Um, I really enjoyed, it's such a scene that could have been cut out of the movie completely, but Meryl's cameo scene I thought was pretty fun. I had a good time with that. I'll disagree with that. She just felt kind of out of place for me. It was such a weird, like, sea story. It felt weird that she never came back. Everything just broke. Like, literally cars breaking to get this character in because we got to have the Meryl cameo. Yeah. Maybe if the number was a little bit better, I would have been more on board. Mm -hmm. Like, the set was cool. Yeah. Like, an upside down room, that's... It's not novel per se, like it's been done before, but in this kind of setting, it was at least fun um, Mm -hmm. and something we hadn't seen in the musical setting. But yeah, she was just a little out of place and she didn't really blow me away singing wise. So I don't know. I feel like I could have done without Meryl. She's very up and down with her singing. Like I thought she sounded good in Into the Woods and then I wanted to jump out a window when I heard her on Mamma Mia. Like, (laughs) There's lots of reasons for that movie though, Drew. Yeah, I know. That's not the only reason why. (laughs) Another one don't get me started on. Anything else, guys, that you're thinking of off the top of your head? I thought Ben Winshaw did a really good job, um, but I don't have a lot to say about him. He has my heart because he's Paddington as well, and I love Paddington Bear. As Michael Banks, he probably gives the most emotional performance in the movie, and I think he does really well with the toughest stuff to deal with. Mm, You know what I liked? The reveal of the missing paperwork that they needed was on the kite. When they bring the kite out, I kind of picked it up about maybe 30 seconds before they revealed it. But I was like, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Because they do make a little clear note to show you that they're cutting out a specific piece of paper to fix the kite. Mm -hmm. And I just never, it never clicked for me until basically the reveal. I like that a lot though. I've seen it twice now. And the second time I felt like such an idiot that I didn't see it the first time. They stopped the movie to show that kid having the paper. (laughs) To be fair, they do throw out the red herring where, like, he draws a banknote when they go and get groceries at the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought that's what it was going to be, mm. like, midway through, and then obviously that was incorrect. Right. But what am I? I'm a lowly podcaster who doesn't know anything. Well, we all missed it. <laughs> we, should all, yeah. we should all start wrapping up soon, probably, because we've yeah. got a lot to say probably about yeah. the next movie. But I just really quickly, what did you guys think of Lin-Manuel's, like, kind of romance that they like, set up, but, like, only through dialogue? Like, it's not really much. I think it's the perfect amount. Like, mm-hmm. you don't want to distract too much from the kids, and that's the central focus of the movie. True. Yeah, no, I was I was fine with it. I agree with that. It seemed cute. It seemed sincere. Right. 
Uh, anything else, guys? Uh, we can go to final thoughts. Yeah, why don't we do final thoughts here? Uh, since, Nate, you gave your rating first. Jake, why don't you give final thoughts? Definitely solid. Nothing nothing crazy, as I've been told I say a lot, apparently. Yeah, I mean, if, you, you know, if you're a big Disney person, if you like the original, if you like musicals, if you like happy, upbeat, bright, good-feeling movies, this is definitely for you. I just don't think it was anything amazing, and I think it could have been better, but certainly not bad. I can't imagine people hating this. It's re- it would be really weird to really dislike this in a strong way, but no, I thought it was good. Nate, final thoughts? It was good. It just didn't blow me away. I do just want to reiterate once again that Emily Blunt absolutely nailed Mary yeah. Poppins to the point where it doesn't even seem like she's trying to mimic the role. She is the role, yeah. and that's something really powerful and uh, hard to do. So another huge check mark in her list of one of the all-time great actresses working today. Aside from that, the the music that I liked, I liked. I wish everything else would just lived up to it, and we would have had a fantastic movie. As of now, we just have a solid one with some cool effect work. So, all in all, solid wooden seat. Nothing crazy. Hey. (laughs) Is it worth waiting 54 years for? Probably not. But at the same time, I can't say that I got any more or less than I expected from a Mary Poppins sequel. It didn't blow me away, as we've kind of established over and over again. But Emily Blunt did blow me away. And the musical numbers at times captured the whimsy that I wanted. It's just a likable, nice little movie. If it gets really a lot of awards traction, I'll be a little questionable about it, but the Academy loves their musical, so I'll understand why. But anyway, Mary Poppins Returns, that's a little bow on it, I think. I think we all enjoyed it, think it's good, not great. See it if you want, you know? This is a movie that I think we're going to have a lot more to talk about here Mm -hmm. because we have our own history with the DC Extended Universe, and their latest movie, 13 months after their last movie, is now out. Time to talk about Aquaman. Permission to come aboard. I've been looking for you. Your half-brother, King Orm, is about to declare war upon the surface world. The only way to stop this war is for you to take your rightful place as king. Trust me, I am no king. Welcome home. My brother has come from the surface. Challenge me for the throne! I call it an ass whooping. I came because I have no choice. You think you're unworthy to lead because you're of two different worlds. But that is exactly why you are worthy. The war is coming to the surface. And I'm bringing the wrath of the seven seas with me. We're here. What are you doing? Wait, wait, wait. Parachute. Redheads, you gotta love them. Yeah, that was the trailer for Aquaman. Uh, did you guys like my Jason Momoa? <laughs> Not bad. Spot on. <laughs> it was worse. pretty good, right? That's what you think of when you think of Aquaman, right? Um, anyway, Aquaman is directed by James Wan, who of course is the master of modern horror, uh, Conjuring 1, Conjuring 2, Insidious 1, Insidious 2, the original Saw, Dead Silence. Uh, And of course, as far as blockbusters go, Furious 7, the biggest movie in that franchise. It stars Jason Momoa, Amber Heard, Willem Dafoe, Patrick Wilson, Dolph Lundgren. Big cast. It is the sixth movie in the DC Extended Universe or the DC Cinematic Universe or whatever they need us to call it. Um, They have a bunch of different names for it these days. Arthur Curry, he was the person, one of the members of the Justice League. He helped defeat Steppenwolf and now he is moving into the second part of his journey to becoming 
the king of the sea. He kind of rejects Atlantis. We kind of learn about his backstory and everything. He will protect the seas and he'll protect the earth, but the earth is primarily his home. And now he learns that he's the heir to the throne, of course, to the kingdom of Atlantis. Mira, played by Amber Heard, comes looking for him because King Orm, Patrick Wilson, his half-brother, is about to declare war on the surface world. And that's not good for anybody, really. So he needs to go in there and he needs to stop King Orm, his brother that he's never met up to this point. So guys, DC has not released a movie in over a year. Justice League came, it bombed, it didn't do great for them. We didn't think it was awful, per se. We didn't like it, really. I didn't like it. Yeah. We didn't hate it as much, probably, as Batman v Superman or Suicide Squad. At least I'm speaking for myself. So Aquaman comes along, and it's kind of trying to be like a revival. You take a couple of weeks off, you kind of get your head clear, and you're just trying to focus in. And the movie's been doing extremely, extremely well internationally. But the question is, how is it as a movie? Nate, what did you think of Aquaman? In the grand scheme of DC movies, uh, this is definitely upper tier. Um, <laughs> not saying much. Yeah, yeah, we're we're going to go back and forth with backhanded compliments all night. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Just my personal opinions. I hated Suicide Squad and Batman vs. Superman. I did not like Justice League. You guys, I believe, gave middle seats. I gave it a damp lawn chair. Now we have Aquaman, which I think is kind of on par with Wonder Woman for me. I was whelmed. <laughs> there are parts of the movie I really liked. <laughs> there are parts of the movie that were just kind of eh. But overall, it was a positive experience as opposed to a negative, which is definitely a step up from some other previous DC movies. I actually think I like this one a little bit more than Wonder Woman, but I would still only give Wonder Woman a wooden seat. Just to sum up the pros and cons, if you will, it's creative. There are some really cool visuals and world building of Atlantis that I enjoyed. The action is kind of hit or miss for me, but the underwater scenes especially were some good wow moments. I enjoyed those a lot. Where it falls a little flat for me is just characters and dialogue. Everyone's very binary. You're either the lighthearted jokey version of your character or you're the, I need to achieve my destiny I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I'm a torn hero. Oh, and that just gets old. <laughs> so old. So quick. It really does. Um, so there are some parts that really dragged for me. But again, overall, congeal the movie into one big mixed drink. And it was a positive experience for me, which is definitely a step up. <laughs> Jake, what'd you think? I think that I forgot Nate doesn't like Wonder Woman as much as I do. He was um, whelmed. But aside from that, <laughs> he was I whelmed, completely Jake. forgot he about that. Yeah, when he said on par with Wonder Woman, I I had to bite my tongue. So for me, Aquaman is my third favorite behind Wonder Woman and Man of Steel. Still doesn't say a whole lot, <laughs> but also kind of ditto what Nate was saying. It was creative, character issues. I had some story issues. It was way too long. But I think ultimately, James Wan... The director saves this movie because with a less competent director, this is definitely much worse. It is creative. There are some really good action scenes. I think Jason Momoa is just being Jason Momoa and having fun, which in turn makes us have some fun. I think he was good as who he is. There's also some other decent acting chops going on there, but generally speaking, the movie's fine. Like Nate said, it is a generally speaking a positive experience, but not by much. <laughs> um, I'm oh trying boy. to find the words that really pinpoint it because it was positive, but 
I don't know. I want to. I want to yell Immortan Joe from Mad Max. I want to yell his mediocre <laughs> at the at the screen. I want to yell his mediocre line. <laughs> it just really fits every situation. It really does. It's such way. a great line, and honest trailers use it really well. But there was a point where I was checking my watch. Like, are you kidding? We have a whole third act. Like, let's wrap this up now. I also thought Jason Momoa and Amber Heard did not have much chemistry. Neither of them were bad in their roles. They just I did not buy them being a thing together really <laughs> mm. um and then just generally the story there was a few we'll talk about it in spoilers but there were a few points where i went what <laughs> so yeah it was overall it was it was fine but not dc's best definitely not their worst right again that's not saying much because right, the worst yeah. is some of the worst superhero movies yeah like this the- would be this would be lower tier marvel yes yeah that's a really good way this might be towards the bottom of, of marvel's list for me especially I can't tell where I am on the spectrum with you guys because I I know I didn't like it as much as Nate because he's already played his hand and I already know what he's going to give it rating wise. And I kind of I guess I kind of just did, too. Um, But (laughs) but like, Jake, I can't tell if we're on the same page or not. I'm probably the most negative out of all of us on this one. When this movie is really good, it's pretty great. When that has to do a lot with the action sequences, James Wan's direction. Just when it tries to get really weird with its concept. Because Aquaman is a concept. As a character, you know, he's always been the butt of the joke. And, I mean, he can do some really cool things. And Jason Momoa has done a pretty good job of making him feel cool. But at the same time, play with the psychedelic elements. And that's where this movie excels. Unfortunately, I found it just kind of when it's not, like, excelling in the action. And it's not doing those weird, unique things. Like having an octopus banging on drums. Or just (laughs) showing us what Atlantis looks like. It's a very bland, familiar, exposition-heavy story. It's overstuffed. Jake, you're right. It is way too long. It's two hours and 20 minutes. Not necessary. Um, It lacks any kind of subtlety. I really like the type A, type B thing you said, Nate, because this movie is very much like exactly what you expect when you hear like a heir to the throne story. It's very familiar in that way. These characters simply aren't strong enough to portray the heaviness of the script. You know what I mean? And that's been a problem for DC movies in general. This is definitely more fun than a Batman v Superman or something like that. But these characters... Thank God. Well, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> again, not a high bar to clear, but this has definitely got comedic elements in it. And most, some of it works. Some of it doesn't. But these movies just simply aren't strong enough to play with the kind of themes that, like, a Captain America Civil War can. Or even, like, Avengers 2, which, like, maybe not the best Marvel movie, but, you know, you can see how the characters have been developed throughout time so that... You know, it makes sense when we're doing different things and different strong thematic things with them. Aquaman, we we barely know him, to be completely honest. Yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest impression that we've yeah. gotten. In- <laughs> That's kind of a problem. It just didn't work a lot of it for me, just to put it simply enough. I really, really wanted it to because I really like James Wan. And Jake, you put it absolutely right. This would have been a train wreck without him, in my opinion. He's a really good visual director, and he's also accomplished. He's done a lot of good works before, and I think this adds to that resume of good-looking movies. Right. But, like, with a less talented, more, you know, a director who's trying to become something, a director who's trying to establish his craft, this would have been really bad. Right. And I think his his camera work especially, the camera work, the cinematography by Don Burgess, really strong in certain points. The way Mm -hmm. he, like, stages a lot of the action scenes and stuff like that. It just, for me, it was really hard to care. And, like, some of the characters that they spent the least amount of time on were actually the ones that I was like, no, I want more from them. 
and there's one specifically that I know at least one member of the crew and I disagree on as far as how they handled a certain character. You could just at me. I mean, yeah, because I <laughs> there's only two options. Yeah, I, right. I saw yeah. I, I saw Andrew over the weekend. Right, true. Uh, Nate, let's talk about characters. Like, what did you think? Who was the strongest? Who was the weakest to you? I guess. Uh, just going down the list, Jason Momoa as Aquaman, I feel like was just safe. Like I said earlier, he is either like super serious, like I gotta fulfill my destiny, or I gotta run away from my destiny, whichever one the script needs him to be at the time. Or he's just being a goofball, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a I was drunk joke. And (laughs) he's almost charming enough to make it work, but not quite. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a little bit off. Like, he's like Taylor Kitsch level. Yeah, like, if we had a build-up movie where we saw more of him before Justice League, maybe I'd have a different impression of him by now. But order being as it may, this wasn't enough to sell me that part of his character. But again, overall, he was fine. Amber Heard as Mara was weak, was really, really weak. Uh, She doesn't get to do a whole lot, and she's basically just Aquaman's cheerleader through the whole thing. Almost from the very first scene is like, I know I'm not supposed to, but you're going to be the greatest king ever. (laughs) And it just kind of keeps going on and on and on with that. It's supposed to be like this playful relationship where she's teasing him the whole time, and there just isn't enough of the sass. (laughs) it's just all cheerleading the entire movie (laughs) right yeah and i think like mira as a character there's so much potential with her because you can see that she's probably more competent and stronger than him and she knows how to play the politics game better but you're right it's so frustrating how the movie sidelines her at every single opportunity they get Mm -hmm. for the most part everyone else is just kind of side characters so you don't get enough time with any of them i think the one exception to that though is patrick wilson i actually liked him as the villain I feel like where he is coming from with a lot of his motivations, his relationships with the other characters, for the most part, worked. Third act, they need to make him go full evil, so he goes full evil kind of out of nowhere. But everything up to that point, I was on board with. And then, (laughs) excuse my puns, but I had to jump ship once we got (laughs) to the third act. (laughs) I appreciated that. Jake's nothing. My God. No, I I smiled. (laughs) Yes, that works in the audio... Uh, medium Jake smiling um I think I don't know I'm very conflicted about the King Orm character because I like Patrick Wilson as an actor but this movie really really relies on you caring about the relationship between Arthur and King Orm and I just really didn't feel any kind of like heat or anything like that or any interesting conflict from two guys that have never met before before the second act Mm. of this movie like it's really hard to invest in that you know what I I mean I don't think so either so his his main motivation is that our surface dwellers have polluted the oceans, and he's not wrong. We have. He's going to tell us to knock it off in a very tough way. Makes sense. <laughs> I was on board with that. Okay. Extinction level way, but okay. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, we're in trouble kind of way, but sure. Okay. I'm I'm with that. But, I, I, yeah, after that, Aquaman just kind of shows up and is like, yeah, let's do this. He probably isn't qualified to be king. You know what I mean? Oh, my God, no. He's just, his plan doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Because, I mean, like, we know his motivation. He's trying to take over the the world, and he's trying to use the sea creatures to take over the world. But at the same time, most of his army depends on being in water. So what what's the plan when it's time to go inland? I, we can I talk know. about this in spoilers because there is a very specific point I want to bring up because it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. So <laughs> All right. Put that in the back burner. <laughs> to, just to defend my praise for Patrick Wilson a little bit here, the back and forth between 
him and Aquaman at least made sense to me because they're both coming at each other out of pure hate for what happened with the mother. Mm. And that, A, was a little different. We haven't seen that um, kind of relationship in a superhero movie before. That is true. And it just made sense to me of why they would hate each other right off the bat. Now, I wish that there was a little bit more back and forth, but you do get that really cool fight scene at the very beginning um, just because Aquaman, Arthur Curry, is just so hot-headed that, of course, he ends up in that kind of situation. Yeah. That that all made logical and emotional sense to me. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can buy that defense. Mm-hmm. It's a agree-to-disagree thing because it didn't click for me as it should have. That is a very important point to getting into the rest of the story. Character relationship-wise, that's really the only thing going on. There's a little bit of an emotional pull with the relationship between Atlanta, of course played by Nicole Kibben, which we haven't even mentioned. Atlanta is uh, Arthur Curry's mother and his father, played by Tamara Morrison. There's kind of a cute romantic connection between them, but that's put on the back burner for a while once we get into the meat of the story. And then everything is just exposition, exposition, exposition. We have to get from point A to point B to find the MacGuffin. And it's just... At a certain point, if you're not into it, there's no entry point. You know what I mean? Like, you're either along for it or you're not. And I was there just kind of looking at bright colors and pretty things. And I (laughs) wanted to be invested in it. That's what made this throw frustrating. Because I really wanted to get into the uniqueness of an Aquaman movie. Guys, we have an Aquaman movie. It just felt like I was watching a similar movie to what I've seen. Mm -hmm. Did, Did you guys not get, like, Thor vibes from this? Especially from, like, the brotherly relationship part of it. It's actually really funny because my immediate afterthought walking out this movie is that this is Thor with national treasure inserted really abruptly in the middle of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I like that a lot. It's almost uncanny. That's good. Yeah. Let's pivot into ratings here because I feel like we've gone as far as we can without talking about specifics. We've already gone over what the different rating systems are. Nate, why don't you give your rating? What did you think of Aquaman? Overall, positive experience, and that's going to bode for a wooden seat for me. About on par where I'd give Wonder Woman. They both work in their own ways for different reasons. I think the James Wan creative side to this and some color in a DC movie really helped sell this one for me. The fun creative moments were enough to have me enjoy the movie. Even when the plot was dragging and even when the characters were wooden, it was still a fun time as opposed to a bland time for me. I don't need to see it in theaters, but (laughs) by the box office results, most of you already have. Yeah. Yeah. Jake, what do you think? Yeah, I'm in in a similar boat. No pun intended. Oh, my God. I actually did not mean to do that. Y'all are drowning Um, me with these. Okay, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was bad. Um... So I gave Mary Poppins a wooden seat. I'm going to give this a lesser wooden seat. More like uh, Jason Momoa just jumped out of the water, sat in a wooden chair, and then the the wooden chair started to weather away and get a little soggy. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) Odd thing. When we have a damp lawn chair rating, to have a wooden seat that's still damp. But a damp lawn chair for me ventures into negative, and this is just just above water into positive. So wait, wait till you hear mine, Nate. It's even more confusing. (laughs) I can't wait. So yeah, um, it's creative enough for me to feel positive about it, but not by much. It was just okay. I don't hate this movie by any means or anything like that. I don't. I want to make that very clear. 
It's about probably, and this is going to hurt you, Nate. It's about par on Justice League for me, though. They're about on the same level because when they pop, they really pop. They're they're really enjoyable, and they're exactly what I love about superhero movies and blockbuster films in general. But there's just too much that doesn't work for me to actually actively recommend it. This is a movie that works in, like, best of the YouTube format. Like, you go and find the scenes that you want to see, and you see those scenes, and then from there, you kind of just cut out the filler. Because the action sequences are pretty dynamite across the board, I thought. And when there are like little cool moments that are like, dude, that was weird and trippy. Those are cool too. But you have to sit through a lot of slog to get there, in my opinion. Some really shaky CGI points, some hokey acting. It's just a mixture of a lot of negative things that are uplifted by some positives. And that's kind of the definition of our damp lawn chair review. Now, like I said, I really enjoyed the positive stuff. So I'm going to give this a very damp lawn chair, but like in an Aquaman sense, like this is a good thing. Like, you know, that's all it's on oh. the higher echelon. <laughs> Nate. Oh. We have a system. One uh, rating. The system's been broken. For... You can't pin me down to uh, a scale of oh. one to ten, let alone one to five. Oh, yeah. We probably should have just not done the ratings because, I mean, it's a cute <laughs> idea. We abuse it every week. Like, every I single week. I use it every week. Oh, my God. So those are our ratings for Aquaman. We're going to get into our spoiler section. We still have probably a decent amount to talk about. Join us now. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me. Spoiler alert. So, guys, I just kind of want to point out how hilarious it is to me that there were two movies that came out on the weekend that Aquaman came out. There was a sequel to Mary Poppins, arguably the most iconic movie of Julie Andrews' career. And it came out 54 years later. And then there was Aquaman, a movie she has no connection to whatsoever. And she's in Aquaman <laughs> as a cracking. A beautiful thing. That's just hilarious, first of all. <laughs> but that's like, those are the weird quirks that I was talking about. Having her voice like a kraken defending like the most powerful trite in the world. Where does that idea come from? And it just like, she hasn't acted in 10 years. Like, what is that phone call like? Like, Hey, Julie, I know you're semi-retired, but do you want to come in for a day, record five lines for a movie about Khal Drogo going to get a trident? Thanks. And then just hang up and see what <laughs> happens from there. I wish there was more stuff like that instead of like, oh, let's take over the world. Oh, you're my brother and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I want it to be wackier. No, I'm totally on board with that. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. Cause I, after Mary Poppins Returns, when uh, Angela Lansbury was in it, and I was like, is Julie Andrews not in it at all? Not a cameo? So I, I IMDB'd Julie Andrews. And I went to, you know, her most recent and the same thing happened. Aquaman popped up and Mary Poppins did it. And I was like, wait, what? Somebody had to have logged in and just changed it Wikipedia style. <laughs> it's a typo. How did this even happen? <laughs> right. So Andrew alluded to something earlier and I thought it might get into spoilers at some point. So uh, King Orm's plan is to attack the surface world with all of his ocean might. And I'm sure he would do pretty well. He's got all these ocean powers. He probably sinks some islands and cause some destruction. There's a point where, you know, Aquaman is like, I don't know if I should, I'm not fit. And my favorite was, I wouldn't have the support because that's when I wanted to pause the movie and go, hold on, this is post-Justice League. So you've already saved the world. So you have humanity on your side and you also have a guy named Superman who knows you. So <laughs> in, in what world would you not have support? Yeah. And King Orm, in what world does this work? We have Superman on the land. Right. What are you talking about? Hello, people. 
Like, this is a problem Iron Man 3 and, like, Thor 2 and Captain America the Winter Soldier had that we just had to accept. But, like, yeah, at the same time, like, this is a big deal. This is not, yeah. like... Iron Man 3 <laughs> is very much a national problem that Iron Man probably can figure out on his own, and it's very personal to him. And I get that this is personal, but they never even talk about it. <laughs> right. I, when he says, I would have no support, I really wanted to go, really? From nowhere, you'd have nothing. You can't right. think of anyone that would help you. <laughs> guys, guys, it's almost like they should have done the individual movies before the right. team up. Right. right. Like, imagine. Yeah. Imagine that. Somebody's got to make a movie about the DC movies. Like, all right, so get this. Yeah. So here's my idea for a cinematic universe. We do what Marvel did, but backwards. <laughs> While we're on the point of really minor plot holes... One thing that just kind of weirded me out was the Kraken mentioned that hundreds of warriors had tried to get to the Trident before, right? Yeah. But Jason Momoa with Willem Dafoe found the secret scroll thing that led them to the secret bottle. Everyone just nicely put it back. Yeah, that, that's what yeah. we were talking <laughs> That I yeah, like, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm probably not going to make it back, so let's give the other guy a try. Yeah. Like, it respawns after, like, a video game. Like, <laughs> I, I guess. Like, Yeah, and it's not something you just stumble upon, right? Yeah. No. No, definitely <laughs> you can't not. Just, oh, and <laughs> you can't just find it. Also, incredibly minor, like, thank God that the statue that they needed to put the telescope through, or the bottle glass telescope through, was the only one that didn't have arms and heads broken off. Just right. saying. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I, I love when we when we feel okay about pooping on a movie and spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I want to I talk action. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for the most part, I think the action works. And that's what sells the movie. And I really liked the one-on-one -on -one battle in the beginning of the movie between King Orm and Arthur. I thought just seeing underwater fight scene was really, really cool. I thought the final battle, once the Kraken came out and the crab people and the orcas, the seahorses, the sharks, like all that was just crazy aquatic fun. And that's what I expect out of an aqua movie, yeah. and I'm glad it delivered there. I was disappointed with a lot of the other fight scenes because they amounted to just your standard good guy's going to take down five bad henchmen, no problems, because they can and we've seen that from so many other superhero movies, especially DC superhero movies, where the superheroes are just ungodly powerful. So they take out bad guys like nobody's business, and that's going to be the end of it. There weren't as many cool powers. Hmm. Marvel is really, really creative of how they use their superheroes' powers to make a fight scene unique to that movie that you can't see anywhere else. Here, there were a lot of just generic action scenes where people are just punching and kicking and using knives. And, like, we've seen that before. A lot. I was disappointed with almost everything above seawater in this movie. Interesting. In concept, I agree with you, because I think I really enjoyed all the action sequences underwater. But I really, really... I think my favorite scene in the entire movie, period, is when Black Manta comes for him in... Is it Italy? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's because, specifically, of James Wan. He shoots that thing so creatively, and he uses great digital tracking shots. Actually, not even a lot of it wasn't even digital. I like to watch the behind-the-scenes video of it. And just the craftsmanship it took to make, like, a normal chase on different, like, levels work as well as it did. I was like, 
really into that sequence. I will give you that that scene as a whole worked. There was one really cool shot where you are in the perspective of the bad guy, first person. Yeah. Like running through walls and stuff. That was a cool shot. I, I appreciated that moment. And that scene, they had a guy attached to the extra. Literally a camera guy attached to the back of him. Wow. Send you the guys the link later, but it's a really coolly executed moment. I guess I'll be in the middle here a little bit because I agree the choreography and the cinematography of the, the fight in Italy with Black Manta was very good. But at the same time, Nate, I'm with you. Like, Aquaman, use the powers that we came to see. Like, please. <laughs> yeah, What's it going was on? Basically, him just getting shot at or punched at right. once they stopped running, essentially. Right. I also, I thought his uh, his intro scene in the submarine was good, too, though. Like, well choreographed. Mm -hmm. I was just going to add. I know it was still more punching, but I thought the choreography was, was pretty good. And it sets up Black Manta, which I think we can pivot to a little bit. Because this is what Andrew and I That was the about. character Jake and I disagreed about. Because Jake... I, I like his backstory is good and it makes a lot of sense. I think his design is very goofy. Well, that's also by design. That yeah. is staying true to the comics to have that big old helmet. Right? I thought it was I thought it was too goofy. I couldn't take him seriously at all. If they didn't have it, the comic book nerds would be up in arms about it. But like at the same time, I think his character writing like I wanted to see more of him because he felt like a watered down version of like Black Panther's character from Civil War. You know what I mean? Yeah. More evil version. And they don't do nearly enough with him. But he was like one of the only characters who was like, huh, what's going on with him? And luckily the movie seems to be setting up his return at some point. So we can maybe get some more with him. Yeah. Because I did like his story. Yeah. I dug everything they did with him. But like he was so in and out of the movie, I couldn't get myself attached too. Yeah. He literally had four scenes. <laughs> yeah. One of them being his introduction. One of them getting the new power-up suit and the post-credit scene and the fight scene. That was it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, he could have been cut out of the movie entirely, probably. Mm -hmm. Nothing would have changed. And we probably would have gained a couple of minutes. But still, it was something that I could attach myself to. I was really having a tough time, like I said, with Patrick Wilson and Jason Momoa. I was having an even more tough time to care about Willem Dafoe and his character's interaction just because we kept going to the flashback. And that the teen version of Aquaman, oh, God. He I was, knew you were going to bring that up. He was rough. He was bad. Yeah, talk about bad acting. That was, that was yeah. not pleasant. He's like Taylor Lautner, but not famous. Oh, God. Please don't wish that another Taylor Lautner on the world. What are you doing? I love when Andrew gets mad about little things like that. I can't deal with that. Are you kidding? Because you know I won't have to. I won't watch those movies, and you will. Yeah. Another action scene I really like, just thinking about it really quick. I really like Nicole Kidman's big action scene at the beginning. Just the way that was shot, too. That kind of establishes the tone of how the action's going to go. I've seen a lot of positivity for that scene online. And if you enjoyed it, by all means, I'm not going to say you're not allowed to like it. But just going back to what I said earlier, just it felt so samey to what we've seen in Wonder Woman and even like the Superman movies. Like it was just that kind of fighting right. that we've seen a lot of, and especially DC movies. Yeah, I think it's just the how he shot it was was what makes it unique, which I can get on board for. Because if you gotta you gotta shoot a fight scene where you're punching, kicking, shooting, okay, but then do what James Wan did and go on the ceiling, follow the sofa being overturned, like make the camera go 180 and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I can I can roll with that. That's fair. And he did that in in the Italy scene too. Like the camera will go out a window, follow the character, jump from a roof into a building, then follow him there. Like really cool stuff like that. Yeah, those were the kind of things that were saving it for me throughout. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. those were very important touches that, like, if somebody else didn't have that, 
I might be a lot more harsh than I am being right now. Yeah, I, th- I think with a less competent director, I'd have a lot less positive things to say. Yeah, like, Jake, why don't you give your final thoughts then? You were rolling there. Yeah, I thought, you know, overall it was it was fine. It's not an unenjoyable movie. It's certainly way too long. But some of the action was good. It's very visually appealing. And I hope DC can get their stuff together because this isn't a bad movie. And I didn't think Justice League was bad. I'd say Justice League was worse than this, but not awful. So I'm not rooting against DC if they can get their stuff together. But, like, guys, get your stuff together. Please. Right. <laughs> Nate, final thoughts? Uh, yeah, it definitely is a step in the right direction for DC. Happy that it embraced the comic booky elements of the movie where it wasn't afraid to be a little out there and a little silly with some of its material. I just wish that the scripts got the same notes because they're just some ham-fisted lines that just sound so corny yeah, and so over-serious, so melodramatic that it can sink the movie at times. But for the most part, I enjoyed the action. I really liked the color. I liked the use of creatures like the cgi for the most part works there are a couple of hairy spots but if i had to say as a whole it holds up it's definitely a good jumping off point so a tentative recommendation for me it still wouldn't see i definitely liked it this might yeah this is my favorite dc movie so far i think well that's sad <laughs> it yeah, is that's, that's, it is sad that's something <laughs> yeah mm, but yeah like man of steel and wonder woman are right there with it uh, so it's almost like one-off movies are better. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Look at that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm kind of the low man here, I think. I definitely wouldn't say I hated it. It's a good, fun ride for decent parts of it, but it's just I couldn't get myself invested in the story or the characters or anything, and those are really important, especially in a C. Uh, that was not intentional, actually. You know, there are a lot of superhero movies out there. It's really hard to stand out. And Aquaman struggles often to stand out. When it does, it does really weird and kooky things. And I needed more of that. I would probably put it fourth. I think I might like Justice League better, to be completely honest. I would I would give Aquaman the edge over Justice League, personally. It's really t- They're like neck and neck for me. They're, it's certainly better than Batman and Superman. It's certainly better than Suicide Squad. That's not really a compliment, though. Amen. Right. If you're not better than Suicide Squad, then... (laughs) Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. Anyway, it's time to set sail on this week's episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast. Before we go, Nate Lungarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seeds. You can also listen to us on the go on both SoundCloud and iTunes. For any questions, comments, or updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seeds. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Be sure to be looking out for some exciting episodes coming out in the next couple of weeks. We'll probably be talking about our favorite movies of 2018, looking back in time. We are into full swing of 2019, folks, and I really hope that you join us for the ride because it's going to be a lot of fun this year. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast. For Nate Lingarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Auger. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.